The Bible. It's the Word of God, sharper than any two-edged sword. This sacred book is living and active and contains all that's needed for life and godliness. Stay with American Family Radio for the next hour as we study God's Word and take your Bible questions. Welcome to Exploring the Word. You know, Jonah is one of the prophets that was originally from the area that we know as Galilee. And, you know, few books in the Bible have been subjected to as much uh, questioning and maybe sometimes even uh, ridicule as the book of Jonah. But yet uh, Jesus authenticated the book of Jonah and he talked about Jonah in Matthew uh, chapter 12. And so we believe it is truthful. It is historical. It is actual. And we are in the book of Jonah, the famous story of the preacher who ran from his assignment, and uh, God had to teach him a little bit of a lesson to get him back on point. This is Exploring the Word with Alex McFarland and Bert Harper, and you are listening to the American Family Radio Network. Bert, don't you, don't you love the book of Jonah? I do. I love the book of Jonah, and uh, again, uh, it's an adventure, and I, I'm like that. I like adventures. I enjoy reading adventures, and uh, the Christian life, as we said before, is a great adventure. But here, with Jonah's adventure, we find him, as you said, being a lifelong learner, but some of the lessons are very, very interesting, and this is one of them. And uh, he's gone on his own way, headed his own way, away from God, and uh, so we find him in a storm on a ship that he should not be on. And the storm is, I thought of this as we were, as I was preparing today, many of the storms in life are God sent. A lot of people yes. think, oh, the storms of life, that's uh, what, what's wrong. And, but the, sometimes those storms are there to help us, to even direct us, to turn us around, Alex. And so, uh, I, I thought of the storm that Jesus is in. I thought of the storm that the Apostle Paul was in. And here this storm, and I know there's others. But again, the storms of life, they're raging. So what do you do? You look unto the Lord. No matter when, how, or what that storm's coming from, uh, you look to God and say, God, what do I need to do? And here, Amen. Uh, they, the, I guess those pagans, as we would call them, they knew something was wrong, and they wake uh, Jonah up, and they say, what's going on? And Jonah, he owns up to it. He says, I'm the reason the storm has come. Now, Alex, yeah. I, I do admire that about him. He didn't try to shift the blame, did he? He really didn't. He really didn't. Uh, and we live in a time when a lot of people don't want to accept responsibility for their own actions. But Jonah's not like that. Now, it takes a storm and a, and a boat tossed at sea and some sailors and a captain. But they say, you know, uh, who is the one that's brought this upon us? And the sea was wroth. And Jonah says, look, it's me because I'm a prophet of God. And so I want to talk about that. But uh, let me say this, talking about the storms of life. I'm going to be the first one this week to quote, to quote Adrian Rogers. We quote <laughs> Adrian Rogers a lot. And Psalm 37 says the steps of a good man are ordered by the Lord. And once I heard Adrian Rogers say the stops of a good man, S-T-O-P-S. You know, the steps are ordered by God. Sometimes delays and, and stops, and we get in a holding pattern. Maybe we even find ourselves in a, a tumultuous storm. Listen, if you're willing to commit your way to the Lord, 
and honestly say, God, show me the way. Lord, I will follow you. Show me the way. God will help you. I've never seen it fail. When you are in one of those hard places of life, and maybe you are, and uh, God's got you listening to this broadcast for a very special reason today. You might not be like Jonah. You may not be on the run in a state of disobedience. Maybe you're just trying to find your way along this rocky path called life. Listen to this show. Maybe even share it with somebody. And the website, AFR.net, as in American Family Radio, AFR.net. This show is archived along with all the other Exploring the Word shows. You can forward it along, and we would encourage you to do that. But first, let me begin at verse 12 of chapter 1. Is that okay? Okay. Go ahead. Jonah says, Take me up, cast me forth into the sea. So shall the sea be calm unto you, for I know that for my sake this great tempest is upon you. Nevertheless, the men rowed hard to bring the boat to the land, but they couldn't do that. The sea was rough, it was stormy, and so they said, well, hey, uh, rowing is not really helping, let's do it. We need to jettison some cargo, as in a preacher, you know. But isn't it funny in verse 12? Jonah's first accurate prophecy is, if you throw me overboard, the sea will be calm. And his first proclamation of truth, now listen to this, his first proclamation of truth related to how God would reset the deck in the aftermath of his disobedience. I think about the prodigal son who was in the hog pen, and he said, how many of my father's servants have plenty to eat? And I'm down here, a good Jewish boy with the swine. Uh, David had to say to Nathan, I'm guilty. Sometimes when a Christian has gotten out of the will of God, the first piece of truth that rebuilds their broken life is, is an admission that, Lord, I've done wrong, help me. Alex, you're so right. They had already played the game what, when, and where, and I say that in verse yeah. 8. What's your occupation? Where are you from? Where are you going? All the things they said. But notice what he says before that. And I just couldn't miss this. Verse 9, he said, I am a Hebrew, and I fear the Lord God of heaven, who did what? Made the sea and the dry land. Right after he said that, they were exceedingly afraid. Do you think that he who made the sea got their attention, Alex? In I other words, so, that's yes. where they were, and that was their problem. And they thought, okay, did they, I think they connected the dots here. Uh, here's this and, man running from the presence of God who worshipped him. The fear of the Lord has the idea of worshipping him. But he's the God who made the sea and the dry land, and their problem was the sea. They said, okay, here, we. this is connecting. And so even in his answer of telling them who he was, there's a testimony there. I am, yeah. I am he who worships the God who made heaven, dry land, and sea. I, I just thought that was that that even in that, God used that in those men's lives. Well, isn't it ironic when the lost world gives the altar call? <laughs> yeah, now, let, let me explain what yeah. I mean. Um, a couple of different pharaohs said to Abraham, what in the world are you doing? Why are you lying about who Sarah is? You know, are you trying to put judgment on us? And, you know, different ones. Uh, when the, the girl at the, the fire said to Peter, I know you, aren't you one of the, one of the men of, of Jesus? So 
in verse 10, when uh, Jonah had said, I'm a Hebrew, I fear the Lord. And they said, why have you done this? Now, I'm going to paraphrase it a little bit. But, you know, we Christians say to the world, um, would you come to the Lord? Now, here's the lost sailor saying to Jonah, why have you run from the Lord? And, and verse 10, why have you done this? For the men knew that he had fled from the presence of the Lord. He had told them, it's almost like the unsaved world is giving the altar call for the people of God to come back. And he does, and he's, he tells them what to do. As you have already stated, verses 12 and following, throw me overboard. He prophesied there would be calmness. And in verse 12, therefore they cried out to the Lord and said, We pray, O Lord, please do not let us perish for this man's life, and do not charge us with innocent blood, for you, O Lord, have done as it pleased you. Have you noticed there's, that they first talked about their gods and nothing happened? And when they start using the name of, of Jonah's God in their prayers and in so forth, things begin to happen. Now, I'm not saying they've come to, uh, come to salvation, but I am saying there's a recognition, at least a mental recognition of who God is and who Jonah is, and they've connected the dots, and they're saying, we don't want to be responsible for this man because you've corrected him, and mm -hmm. they're saying, we've already seen your power. We've seen what you've done with the sea. We've seen what has happened, and we don't want to be in, I'm going to use this little word, we, we don't want to be in the same boat as Jonah, you know? Right, wow. And, well, Jonah's about not to be in any boat, <laughs> but, you know, we've said this, and, and I know I'm repetitious, and I ask forgiveness for sometimes saying the same thing over and over, but Charles Finney, one of the great evangelists, somebody asked Finney, you know, when is revival going to come? And he said, as soon as you want it. And, and they said, are, are you kidding? Of course we want revival. And Finney basically said, really? Do you want it badly enough to get up before sunrise and pray? Do you want revival badly enough to repent of sin and start obeying God and uh, live for the Lord and, you know, honor God in your, your life and your giving? And here's the thing. The men knew that, their, like you said, their gods had not done anything. And, Bert, I've said it so many times, but... R.C. Sproul, they ask R.C. Sproul, what's the difference between the gods of the other religions and the God of Christianity? R.C. Sproul said, well, the basic difference is this. The God of Christianity exists. That's it. The reason I'm saying that is this, folks. If America would call on the name of the true and living God and say, dear Jesus, forgive our sin, heal our land, I promise, I, I, Bert, I would stake everything on it if we turned to the lord this nation would would get fixed real quick i mean really it would it because would. the true and living god is the god who can hear prayer answer prayer and the true and living god the biblical god is the god that can save and can restore none other i think there's examples of where we are you can look at it in the pulpits you can look at it in the homes we're desperate for god we look at it in the politics. On Easter, uh, we have our president not even mentioning Jesus in his Easter message that mm. he would tweak out or share. We have a senator uh, that is supposedly a Baptist pastor uh, saying, you know, it's not the resurrection. 
Uh, you know, that's important. Yeah, I, I know. You know, so we are in desperate need. Again, I don't want to go on that rabbit trail, but they make good illustrations of where we are when we have people in charge who are taking us in that direction, and so many are following. And we who are believers, we need to pray. And that's the first thing seek the Lord, do what we can, and then be involved. But you better first get right with God, seek, your, seek Him, pray. And then get involved. And so here it is. So they picked up Jonah. And what did they do? They did throw him into the sea. And the sea ceased from its raging. Now, Alex, it seems immediate. You know, I, when I saw the sea raging, I thought of what Jesus did when the, the apostles, they went to him and woke him up and said, do you not care that we're dying? And Jesus came up and rebuked the storm and said, peace be still. And what happened? Instantaneously, there was a calm. Seems like there was that quick of calmness in this sea as well, doesn't it? Well, it, it really does. I mean, and I would say obedience does bring immediate blessings, uh, doesn't it? But it's, it's amazing. They took up Jonah, cast him forth into the sea. I mean, the, the wording there implies, you know, they, they threw a fastball pitch. Uh, they, in other words, they were glad to get him off the boat. <laughs> and, and isn't it sad all right, it's one thing if the world takes offense at our message, but it's another thing entirely if they take offense at us. Now, we know the message is a stumbling block to people, but heaven forbid that we ourselves or our disobedience would be that stumbling block. It wasn't they were trying to get rid of God, but they did want to get rid of a backslidden preacher. And they did, and God took care of them, calming the sea, and he takes care of Jonah. And we'll read that in verse 17 when we come back. You're listening to Exploring the Word, Alex and Bert, and we're here studying the book of Jonah. Join us for the next segment. This is Pause to Pray, a chance to stop down from the daily noise of life and pray for our country's leaders. Today we pray for Isabel Guzman, administrator of the Small Business Administration. Her agency provides support to small businesses and entrepreneurs in this country. Proverbs 22:29 reminds us of the importance of doing good work. Do you see someone skilled in their work? They will serve before kings. They will not serve before officials of low rank. Right now with this in mind, let's pray together. Almighty God, we ask for guidance for Isabel Guzman as she helps support small businesses in this country. We ask this in Jesus' name, amen. Pause to Pray is the service of this station and the Presidential Prayer Team, a nonprofit, nonpartisan ministry dedicated to encouraging prayer for our nation's leaders. To learn more, go to pausetopray.org. Husbands and wives have different roles in the home. They have to. But Dr. Tony Evans says in some areas, they shouldn't be as different as some couples make them. He explains as we spend two minutes with Tony. Many men have this idea. I go out, I'm the provider, you're the wife, you stay home, you do your job, I do my job, and that's where the problem is. No, the home is your job. The role of the wife is to help the husband do his job well, but she is not to replace your role in the home. Mister, your role is to set an environment in the home of intimacy, a dwelling, not a house, but a home. To dwell together has the idea 
that you are working in concert with her to create an environment of harmony, to be at home. You know, when somebody comes to visit you and you say, make yourself at home, you mean more than just sit down, you mean be comfortable, be at peace, be restful. It is your job to make sure, as much as humanly possible, that your home is not a place of strife. And to do that, you've got to be there. Listen, mister, your wife didn't marry a paycheck. She married you. She didn't marry a car. She married you. And whenever you measure the quality of your role as a husband by virtue of the trinkets in your house, you've missed it. Learn more about the strength, commitment, and sacrifice it takes to live up to God's definition of real manhood. It's all spelled out in Dr. Evans' bestseller, Kingdom Man. Copies are available at TonyEvans.org, along with study guides, leader's guides, and everything you need to promote God's view of manhood in your home or church. Again, that's TonyEvans.org. Then join us next time as we spend two minutes with Tony. to Exploring the Word. Bertie and Alex with you. We're in the book of Jonah. We're about to go into chapter 2, but we've got a, a thing or two to say in chapter 1. And where we left off as they threw Jonah overboard after he ran from God and the sea was raging. But when he hit the sea and went down, it says in verse 15, the latter part, the sea ceased from its raging. And then verse 16, then the men feared the Lord exceedingly and offered sacrifice to the Lord and made vows. Now again, I cannot judge, but there was a response. God has to be the judge of how deep it was. Uh, that's God business. That's some of the things he said. You better be careful judging uh, a man's heart. But their mm-hmm. actions were great. They feared the Lord. Alex, did you notice that they used that same word that Jonah used in verse 9, I'm a Hebrew and fear the Lord. And now they come back and they say the men feared the Lord. The writer says they had that response, and they added an adjective to it. I think it's an exceedingly. And uh, so, listen, uh, I think that's an adverb when it's exceedingly. You You can show your English better than mine, Alex, but exceedingly. It wasn't just something that, okay, we got to pay homage. No, they were moved to an extent. Now, how far? I do not know. Well, you know what's really interesting, and I don't want to get too much into the weeds of the, the syntax, in other words, the word order of verse 16, says the men feared the Lord exceedingly and offered a sacrifice unto the Lord and made vows. Now, Psalm 76 verse 10 says, even the wrath of man shall praise God. So, you know, God is so powerful in the New Testament, we often talk about Romans eight twenty eight. For we know that all things work together for the good to them that love the Lord and who are the called according to his purpose. See, even God, God can take even our mistakes and work it into something good. But this verse, I love the way the Hebrew wording is. Okay, they feared the Lord, uh, and, and the word there is Yahweh, Almighty God, says they feared the Lord and they were exceedingly afraid. 
they made vows, and the in the Hebrew it says, and took to Yahweh. Now you really don't see that in the English. And look, I only God knows, but I'm thinking there was some people getting saved on this boat, Bert. That, I mean that is the possibility, and that's the reason I I want to think that, and that's the reason they took I, to I, Yahweh. Yeah. yeah. They, that sounds <laughs> like it. Now what Folks, where did let it me just start? It started with him saying who I am. You need yes. to let the people know I am a follower of God. And uh, then when things like this happen, Alex, guess what? A testimony, even though it's been weak, but it's a testimony that's been given. Go ahead, brother. Folks, take to God today. Down south, we, we say take to something. In other words, you, you embrace it, you receive it. And I love how it says they took to God. And today you can take to God as well. Verse 17, and if there's ever been a verse that some of the skeptics have ridiculed, it's this one. But look, let's remember God can do anything that is in harmony with his nature, in harmony with his word, and anything that is logically meaningful and possible. So could God, hey, if God can put a a coin in a fish's mouth, uh, he can put a preacher in a fish's mouth. The Lord prepared a great fish to swallow up Jonah, and Jonah was in the belly of the fish three days and three nights. And of course, you know, back in Matthew 12, 40 and Luke eleven thirty, Jesus alluded to that. Bert, um, God made the universe, our solar system, planet Earth, and the human race. I don't have any problem believing that he could pre- preserve the life of, of Jonah while he was trying to uh, teach Jonah a lesson and get his will done. I believe Jonah one seventeen, Bert. I do too, and I'm I'm not necessarily believing this is the greatest part of the story. I, I am yeah. I'm always amazed. The storm ceased. Now to me, uh, it would be easier to prepare and control a big fish than it would be to stop a storm. Now that's mm-hmm. that's just me looking at it from a uh, a person that doesn't know either one except that God did it. But I love the word prepared. Uh, It doesn't mean that this could be a special fish, one-of-a-kind fish. Uh, God can use these mutations uh, to to do something that this great fish would have a a larger swallowing capacity than most fish. Uh, It could have a, a, a stomach that was partially full for three days, you know, during this period of time. There's so much here. The key word is the Lord prepared. He prepared it. In other words, this didn't catch him by surprise. He had the storm ready. He had the fish ready, Alex, at the right place at the right time. And uh, I got a feeling that big fish may have been following that ship. Yeah, and I, you know, I'm, yeah. I'm, I still hadn't completely grown up completely. I know it says when you become a man, put away childish things. But that doesn't mean you don't think sometimes like a child because Jesus told those, he says, unless you become like a child, you can't come in. So sometimes try to think imaginary like a child can. Can you imagine the ship going and the storm above the sea, the surface is raging, but underneath is the calm, and there's this big, great fish swallowing and uh, I know, don't know what's going on in a fish's mind, but he said, when is that prophet going to be thrown overboard? Now, again, I'm just picturing it, trying to look at it. That fish was not just prepared, but it was at the right place, brother. Uh, well, that's true. That's true. 
And, you know, um, before the revival began in the streets of Nineveh, <laughs> the revival began in the, the stomach chambers of a, of a great whale. Um, and, and you're right, this is not the greatest verse. I mean, it's a significant verse. It's an amazing, miraculous verse. But you know what? Um, the preservation of the life of Jonah while he was being reprimanded. He, w- he was under chastisement, and uh, no doubt prayers went up. Isn't it something how we talked about how the Bible says, if I make my bed in hell, you are there. Listen, God can hear your prayers if you're in a hospital bed. God can hear your prayers if you're in a jail cell. God can hear your prayers if you're in a bar and you know you ought not be. Uh, and God can hear prayers from the depths of the ocean, from the belly of a fish. But I want to say this, as, as much as we marvel at the miracle of Jonah and the great fish, let's not forget the miracle of the conversion of a, of a fallen sinner. Amen. People ask me, do you believe in miracles? Every Christian believes in at least one miracle, the miracle of salvation. And do you know what? The Bible says that uh, when we are in Christ, and, and remember, folks, the Old Testament people, in faith, they look to the Savior that would come. In faith, we look back at the Savior that did come. Same Jesus, just two different sides of the cross. Let's not forget the wonderful miracle of conversion. Amen. That which was dead is made alive. That's a miracle, isn't it, Bert? It is. As, let me say it another way. The Old Testament looks forward to the debt that would be paid. Those of us, after the, the crucifixion and resurrection, look back at a debt that was paid. You catch it. But the debt was paid by Jesus Christ on the cross, rose again. And again, chapter 2, then, and notice these words, then. This is a moving adventure, changing locations, changing circumstances. Then Jonah prayed to the Lord, his God, where? From, as you said, from the fish's belly. What did he pray? I love verse 2. I cried out to the Lord because of what? My affliction. Affliction. I I just want to read a passage of Scripture. Psalm 119, verse 71. Listen to what the psalmist says. It is good for me that I have been afflicted that I may learn your statutes. Without affliction, without difficulty, Alex uh, what do we say a, about a child that gets their way all the time? They're spoiled what? Spoiled. Spoiled yeah. rotten is, is how they say it in Mississippi, man. And, and so some of the things that you don't get your way in, that it's difficult, it's not for our harm, it's for our good. Now, again, this is difficult and hard, but this is really for, for his benefit. But I cried out to the Lord because of my affliction, and he answered me. One more thing, and I'll throw it over to you. I cried out. Notice it says he prayed in verse 1. In verse 2, I cried out. Now, crying out to the Lord is a prayer, but there's kind of like a passion behind it, Alex. You know, I cried out with his whole being. Uh, he was in his affliction. And, and I know some people that, you know, we as a parent pray for our children when they go out and they're starting to spread their wings, and they take the car out for the very first time. Man, we pray for them. But when we find out something's happened to them, uh, an accident, we don't know the full results, uh, we haven't heard from them, we can't get a hold of them because maybe their cell phone is dead, and we can't get a hold of them, and our minds go crazy, and we begin oh, to yeah. do what? 
cry out to the Lord. We're not yeah. just saying, Lord, protect them. We're saying, oh, God, help them. I find, I find this in Jonah. He cried out to the Lord. Do you catch the, the emphasis well, that, that I'm trying to make here? Well, exactly. And, and let me just say this, and, and we're, we're speculating. Folks, you know, there's exegesis where you bring out the meaning, and then there's eisegesis, E-I-S is a Greek prefix, eis, where we project things in, and we don't want to be guilty of eisegesis. But let me just say something here. Uh, I cried out by reason of my affliction unto the Lord, and he heard me out of the belly of hell, says the King James, I cried, and you heard my voice. Now, like you say, our loved one is late getting home, we can't get him on the phone, and we think the worst. I mean, it doesn't our imagination run wild? Oh, no, there's a car wreck, I'm certain of it. I'm, they're in the ER, and we think the worst, and we cry out to God. Now, the word is Sheol, the realm of the dead, the underworld. I wonder if Jonah, maybe for a minute, I mean, you think about how disoriented, how, you know, catatonic he might have been. I wonder if he worried, oh my goodness, I've died and I've gone to hell. Oh God, help me. You know, we don't know. Maybe he thought he had died and he was not in heaven. You know, we don't know. But he was sufficiently moved that he cried out, and like you said, it's a passionate cry. I mean, th- this is, you know, begging God, and here's the thing. God heard my voice, verse 2. Amen. For you have cast me in the deep in the midst of the sea, and the floods compassed me about. All thy billows and thy waves passed over me. You know, some of what splashed over him would have been salt water. Some of what splashed all over him and around him were digestive juices, and, I mean, we can only think how icky that was, and that icky is just the only word I can think of to be in the, in the digestive tract of a great fish. And, Bert, I've, I've done a lot of fishing. I love to fish. And um, you go down to the pier at the ocean to fish, and it just doesn't always smell good, does it? It does And I, yep. uh, I reckon he was praying, wasn't he? He was. His surrounding, his circumstances did make a difference. Uh, notice I, I, in verse 2, and, and I'm just going back there, he answered me, and then the latter part of verse 2, he heard me. That Do you catch a little bit Praise maybe of a surprise here? You know, mm-hmm. after God, after what all I've done, what all I've caused, how I've acted, and you still hear me? Do you see the grace of God in that, Alex? I do. And folks, you, you might be listening to this, you think, well, Man, okay, so he's a preacher that was a little late in obeying God. Isn't this rather extreme? Listen, this is how much God wants those Ninevites saved. Amen. Well, so God is long-suffering. God is patient. God is not willing that any should perish. And, and let me say this. Um, when it comes to missions, whether it's you being a soul winner or your church supporting the Great Commission, let me, let me tell you, God, yes, God loves his people. And yes, God is, is gracious and so abundant to his followers. But here's the thing. God wants the lost world to know about the living Savior. Hallelujah. Aren't you glad, Alex? Notice what verse 4. I, I really want to get to this. This is an amazing verse in comparing to what uh, uh, you know, Jonah had said. Then I said, I have been cast out of your sight. Now, I thought that's what he wanted. <laughs> he, 
He had been what? Running from the very presence of God. That's, that's one of the themes in chapter 1. Uh, he ran from the presence of God. He told those men, I want to get from the presence of God. I want to get away. And here in verse 4, I have been cast out of your sight. Now, Alex, <laughs> sometimes we don't, we don't want what we're praying for, do we? Sometimes. I know. I, I know. He wanted to get away from God, and he found out what it's like to be away from God. Now, hmm. may I paraphrase the second half of verse 4? Go ahead. Yet I will look again toward thy holy temple. That's basically his saying, God, if you give me another chance, I'll do it. Amen. Amen. Isn't that something? And God is the God of second, third chances. You think of, we just got through with the Resurrection Weekend. Where I preached, I preached concerning Thomas and him being absent the first time, you know, when Jesus appeared to the apostles. But he was there the second time. And aren't you glad? And and I made the comment, and if you read this, you'll find it's true in in uh, John chapter 20, when Jesus came back to visit the apostles the second time, eight days later, he came for one of them. He, he didn't have to impress mm. the, the, 11, the 10 that were there. He came back for, for, for Thomas. Isn't that amazing? He Praise will leave the, the 99 and go after the one. He takes care. Here's this runaway prophet, and he takes his time. He prepares the storm. He prepares the fish. He prepares everything in order to redeem this runaway prophet to get him done. And I want to just tell you, Jesus Christ loves you. You're listening today. You're running from God. You're trying to get out of his presence. You're trying to ignore what he's doing. Listen, God is someone called him the hound of heaven, Alex. He, mm. is, he is wanting to bring them back home, isn't he? He is. Jonah said, Lord, let me have another chance. And maybe that's your heart and your prayer today. And God will give you that second chance. Stay tuned. When we come back, we're going to open up the phones, take your calls. This is your time to call in. So let us hear from you. 888-589-8840. In his image, delighting in God's plan for gender and sexuality. I loved it. I loved how biblically sound it was. All the scripture to back it up. The testimonies were very powerful. If it's a prodigal child that has just run away or one that's caught up in same-sex attraction, there's hope in Jesus. In His Image is now available on DVD and can be purchased in bulk to pass out to friends and family. Order today by visiting afastore.net. We all have times of discouragement, but there is hope. Here's Pastor Jeff Shreve. Hey, I have good news for you. God is the God of encouragement, and God has a good word from His Word to encourage you, to lift you up, and to change your outlook. Learn the power of simply having a godly outlook. Join Pastor Jeff Shreve on From His Heart each weeknight at 6 Central here on American Family Radio. David, the son of Jesse, just an ordinary giant slayer. My name is Abraham Hamilton III, and this is the Hamilton Minute. David's battle with Goliath is an epic drama where the little boy stands in God's power to conquer the Philistine giant. David didn't awaken that morning expecting to slay a giant. He didn't stroll in with an entourage after a rugged mountain range training camp like Rocky and Rocky IV. He was just a regular kid bringing his brother's lunch, but fully confident in God's immeasurable power. Though he saw Goliath, David never acknowledged him as a giant saying, who is this uncircumcised Philistine who dared defy the Lord of hosts? 
When regular people are fully persuaded, fully confident in God's power, giants fall. Listen each weekday from 5 to 6 p.m. Central for The Hamilton Corner with Abraham Hamilton III, public policy analyst for the American Family Association. This is Dr. Stephen Rummage with today's Moving Forward Minute. Romans chapter 5, verse 1 says this, We have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. In New Guinea, two tribes had been engaged in a blood feud for generations. The chief of one of the tribes was so motivated to end the feud that he called a meeting with the chief of the enemy tribe. At that meeting, he placed his own infant son in the arms of the rival chief to live with his tribe for the rest of his life. As long as that child lived, hostility ceased. They called that son the peace child. Jesus Christ is God's peace child. The peace that Jesus gives doesn't just last for one child's life, it lasts for all eternity. For more resources, visit movingforwardradio.org. Join me every Sunday morning at 8.30 Central for Moving Forward right here on AFR. Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. American Family Radio. We've all searched for the light of day in the dead of night. We've all found ourselves worn out from the same old fire. We've all run to things we know just ain't right. And there's a better life. There's a better life. Welcome back to Exploring the Word. The number is 888-589-8840, 888-589-8840. We would love to hear your Bible question. And Bert, where shall we go first? Okay, the first place we're going to go to is Texas, and we're going to talk to Mikey. Welcome, Mikey. Hey, how y'all doing? Doing well today. I'm glad to hear y'all. Amen. It's good to be heard. We appreciate you calling. (laughs) What's your question for us, Mikey? So I got into an argument over this guy in the YouTube comment section for the past three, four days, and he's really disputing the origins of the world. And he's saying because evolution and millions and millions of years that God doesn't exist. Is there anything that I might say to him that might help? Okay. I would just say this, uh, where's the proof <laughs> for him? I, I don't mean to say that sarcastically or anything, but the proof of the existence of Earth for millions and millions of years is basically made up. Uh, Alex, one of the things mm-hmm. that I love that you did was taking that trip to the Grand Canyon. And, mm. and when you took that and how they could show you the different levels and the different places where it, you know, that you could see, and uh, and it wasn't millions of years. It was catastrophic there, wasn't it? It was. You know, we saw in the Grand Canyon what are called nautiloid fossils, you know, from the word nautical or nautilus. In other words, there were, you know, ocean fossils, shrimp and fish, and clearly that's an indicator that the world and even the deserts were one time under the water, and um, I believe the Grand Canyon 
uh, is a great evidence for the truth of the flood of Noah. But let me say this. While I think the evidence for God and creation is compelling, basically four things, and I'm going to give you four alphabet letters to think about. C-C-S-S, creation, conscience, scripture, savior. Creation had to have a creator. Everything we know about, every effect has a cause. You might come up on a house. Well, there had to be a builder. There had to be an architect. You know, you come upon a painting. There had to be an artist who put the pigments on the canvas. So creation had to have a creator. Design had to have a designer. Our conscience. I mean, do you know, Bert and, and the caller, I would say this. Even Let's say there was Darwin's warm little pond, the swamp, the primordial soup. Well, what is the origin of conscience? How did, and consciousness, I mean, how did mud switch on and become awake? So briefly, let me say this. The atheist, or the one who denies creation, has some unbelievably huge burdens of proof, okay? Um, The Christian says there's an eternal, almighty God. He spoke the world into existence. You can know him through Jesus who rose from the dead, okay? But... To the one who says, no, they're an atheist, okay, then where did matter come from? How did order come from chaos? How did chance produce design and intelligence? How did inanimate matter develop consciousness? Um, Bert, there's the explaining away of religious experience. Some of the best and the brightest people that have ever lived from you know, Leonardo da Vinci to the Wright brothers to C.S. Lewis have claimed to have experienced the biblical God. Really? Are we supposed to dismiss all of these as invalid? And for what reason? Then, the atheist, how do you explain the origin of logic, mathematics, morality? On and on we could go, but let, let me just say this. There is a burden of proof. The atheist says, okay, they don't believe in God, then explain all of this that we have around us called reality. I, as, as Norm Geisler said 20 years ago, Frank Turek has said it since Norm has passed on, I don't have enough faith to be an atheist. Amen. And let me just say this. When you look at Scripture and you see the fulfillment of the Old Testament in the New Testament, especially oh concerning Christ, uh, it, it sets everything up. And again, this is truth. Uh, Alex, let me see. Evolution, do you have to believe that mutations, uh, that means when a, a species, it has something added or something taken away, and it usually corrects it in the next generation. But do you know of any mutations that you've ever seen that accelerated a, a species? Never. Think of it this way, folks. Look, if... There, there is your DNA, and we call it the genome, and that determines everything, whether it plants, animals, humans, right? All right. If you want fins to become feathers and feathers to become fingers, that takes additional genetic information. So here's the question for which no evolutionist has an answer. When have we ever observed, not, not theorized, but observed, a mutation add additional information to the genome. Never. Never. Evolution is a faith position. It is. 
And I agree with Frank Turek. I agree. I don't have enough faith to be uh, an atheist, an evolutionist, or Darwinian. I do not. Mikey, thank you. We hope we've given you a quick. Remember, you can go to AFR.net, and then you can go to the podcast and scroll down to Exploring the Word and put the date in, this date, and you can hear Alex and myself response to Mikey's question. So do that. Take notes so you'll have it, so you'll have it ready. Uh, again, I, I, arguing doesn't do a lot, but presenting it in a calm way, I think with the power of God's in prayer, I think it will change hearts and minds. Mikey, thank you. Let's go to Illinois, and we're going to talk to Gene. Gene, welcome to Exploring the Word. Okay, thank you. Um, well, my question, um, I- I'm concerned with uh, people who are already in hell. Um, when they cry out because they're in misery there, uh, does God hear them? Okay. He may hear them physically, but far as hearing them to change their uh, location, no. Alex, you add to that, please. Well, Luke 16 is an amazing story by Jesus about the, the man that died and was in hell. And I think Luke 16 is proof that, you know, God, sure, God knows what is on the minds or the cries of those that are lost because God knows everything. The Bible says that there's not a word on my tongue that God doesn't know. And scholars have the word omniscient. Omniscience, all mean is omni, and scientia is knowledge. Because God knows everything, sure, he would have to know, but the thing is, just like um, it's too late to take an exam, hey, once school is out, there's no more tests or exams. If you passed, you passed. If you failed, you failed. In hell, there is no second chance. And so... um, God at least knew the cries of the rich man in Luke 16. I think he, he, he knows the cries of those that are in hell today, but they made their choice. They rejected their offer of salvation, and after death, there is no second chance. That's why we, we always bring it up, but we beg, turn to Christ while you have opportunity. You have no guarantee of tomorrow, but you do have this moment. One reason we believe in missions and evangelism, which is same, basically, if you really look at it, is that story because the rich man had five brothers and he had influenced them for evil and the opportunity for him to go back was not given. And he said if he does not hear the law and the prophets, doesn't hear the Savior, doesn't hear, uh, that's what's going to do it. And so get saved and be saved today. Pray and cry out for those that are still living and need the Savior. Thank you, Gene. Let's go to Arkansas and talk to Kevin. Kevin, welcome to Exploring the Word. Uh, hi. I was wanting to talk about that guy who was asking about creation. Yes, sir. Uh, when they did when they did carbon fourteen dating on a one hour old egg, it turned up ten thousand years old. <laughs> I've heard about that, Kevin. Uh, I mean, what they've done in their imagination with carbon dating. And also, do you remember in school, now I don't know if they still do it or not, they would show the evolvement of man uh, like a man down like a a chimpanzee and 
the next one he's up a little straighter and another and a little straighter. They could not find that in science, so they drew it up like they're cartoons. Yeah, mm-hmm. Alex, you know that? You know? That's what they oh, did. I know. There was no well, scientific evidence for them drawing those pictures. They just said this is how it would be if it were true that man would go from that chimpanzee to a man. Well, you know, there was a, a, a German, uh, he was really a scientist, but really more of a philosopher. His name was Ernst Haeckel. And he drew, he died in 1919, but Haeckel drew some of those progressions from a, an embryo to a fish to a, to a baby. And do you know what? Those things have been uniformly discredited, even evolutionists. I've interviewed for, for the 18 books that God's allowed me to write. I have interviewed unbelieving atheists, and they cringe when Haeckel's embryos are in science books because they have long since been discredited. Somebody said to uh, Ernst Haeckel one time, uh, there was a history student, and Haeckel was just butchering history because as a, an evolutionary atheist, he, he was using the facts how he wanted, when he wanted. Some students said, Professor Haeckel, the facts say otherwise. And Haeckel said, so much the worse for the facts. In other words, truth didn't matter to him. Advancing his godless, secular, evolutionary narrative did. That's how it is with a lot of people today. But, yeah, whenever you see those progressions of, you know, the, um, the, uh, the gibbon, the ape, up to the hominid, the human, don't believe it. Those things exist only in the imaginations of textbook publishers. Thank you, Kevin. Let's go back to Texas and talk to Roy. Welcome, Roy. Hi. Um, I wanted to use a clarification on the uh, where Jesus says, Judge not, yet you be judged. And But then in the book of James, I believe it's somewhere, I can't remember where exactly, where it says, uh, judge no one. And uh, I'm just kind of uh, confused about that. I'll hang up and just listen to your uh comment okay Roy thank you for your good question Alex there is a judgment that we all make uh, we look outside mm-hmm. of a morning I did it this morning I I got up and matter of fact I have an app on my cell phone and I looked to see what the temperature of the day was and I made a judgment should I wear short sleeves or long sleeves today that is a judgment again it's 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 a judgment but it's based upon what outward circumstances and then I responded, judging a person from your lack of knowledge is always dangerous. In other yes. words, we can't know everything. And everybody said, well, I'd be a fruit inspector. Well, sometimes there's fruit that looks good. Have you ever seen fruit that's artificial fruit and they look as real as they can be and you yes. pick up and find out it's not real? If you've ever bitten a wax apple, you'll know. You, you know. will know. You will. It looked good, didn't it? Exactly. Do you know what? Uh, Josh McDowell said this 20 years ago, and it's so true, that f- for years and years and years, the most famous verse in the Bible would have been John 3.16. But nowadays, the most famous verse in the Bible is probably Matthew 7, uh, Matthew 7, 1. All right, now listen, and I'm going to s- explain what it does and doesn't mean. Judge not lest you be judged, Matthew 7, 1. And then James 4, 2 says, you know, who are you to judge your neighbor? There is one lawgiver and judge. He is able to save or to destroy. Now, here is what it doesn't mean. It doesn't mean 
that we don't have the right to apply the Word of God to a person's behavior or words. We do. We can assess the condition of the world and the behavior of people by the Word of God. We can. Now, what it doesn't, uh, what, what it is saying is, look, we don't have the right to say um, Alex McFarland is the standard and I affirm this, I, you know, reject that. We don't have the right to judge based on ourselves because we're just sinners too. But I want to say this, regardless of Matthew 7, 1 and James 4, 2, we absolutely have the right to analyze the world through the lens of God's Word. And God's Word says that adultery is wrong, immorality is wrong, homosexuality is wrong, Christ is the one and only Savior, those that are not Jesus the risen Savior are not the way of eternal life. So, Bert, um, we, we do have the, the prerogative and, in fact, really the mandate to assess the condition of the world and, yes, the beliefs and actions of people by that measuring stick we call Scripture. It's exactly right. This is one reason why I hate the thing they call hate crimes because what are they doing? They're taking the judgment past what you said, okay? You, we're judging their words. We're judging their actions, which we must do. If you've ever been on a jury, you've got to do that. But the intent of the heart and knowing why they did it, oh, they if, if someone kills someone or someone steals something, did they do, do it with, uh, did they do it with malice? Did they do it with hate? Alex, uh, you know, Man loves to take the place of God, don't don't we? That's that's the whole idea of, but God knows the truth. But we can take what God's given to us from his word and apply it to circumstances, even individuals concerning their actions and their words, and we can make a judgment on it. And we're required to do that just about every day, aren't we? We are. Folks, you've been listening to Exploring the Word. We're going to continue in Jonah chapter 2 tomorrow. Please pray for the show. Go to AFR.net, forward the link on, and share it with people. Tell somebody about Exploring the Word. Most of all, tell everybody about Jesus. The views and opinions expressed in this broadcast may not necessarily reflect those of the American Family Association or American Family Radio.